You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cuz, we live. We live. Welcome to the Locked On Hornets podcast. We are coming to you from the Gittimer.com studios in Uptown Charlotte. If you're in sales and need help, visit Gittimer.com today to learn how they can help you do the one thing you want to do, make more sales. Make sure you also are following us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Locked On Hornets. We are part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Visit LockedOnSports.com to check out all of our podcasts on the NBA, the NFL, the MLB, and of course, all of fantasy sports. So for the next few weeks, we'll be going through the roster, evaluating every player for the Charlotte Hornets. Yesterday, we looked at Kimba Walker, dividing each player into three segments on the past, the present, and the future of each player. It was fun to see Kemba's climb yesterday. He really improved over the past few seasons into the best basketball player on this team as it stands right now. Now we transition to Nick Batum, who you hoped would become the second best player on this Hornets team, but I'm not entirely sure that's worked out for the Hornets. Maybe it has, I don't know, but it's been an interesting tenure for Nick Batum with this franchise. And with that, we'll dive into a little deeper of the past and how Nick Batum became a Charlotte Hornet and how he even became in the NBA. So Nick Batum actually drafted by Houston, but traded after to Portland in a deal that would eventually see Nick Batum become far and away the best player in that trade. In the early years of Batum, he had a very nice progression. He gets better every single year. And he starts immediately, especially for a guy that was drafted 25th overall. And every year, for about four or five years, his points per game goes up, his assists go up, his rebounds go up, his efficiency stays relatively good, about 45%. It dips down to 42, I believe, at his 24-year-old season. But injuries, I think, were a big part of some of that efficiency. But overall, Nick Batum became a very efficient player and became a well-rounded player for the Portland Trailblazers. Again, with some injuries hurting him a little bit here and there, but overall a very good player. So up until he was 25 years old, he had a very nice, promising young career. He contributed in a lot of facets of the game. So again, Olshi and company, Olshi being the exec there that does all the moves for the Portland Trailblazers, he correctly thinks that they have a pretty nice player on their hands. And if you'll remember, Minnesota actually signs Nick Batum to a offer sheet, or they offer him $46 million for four years. Portland matches it. you got to think, $46 million for four years at that time, for a guy that is still pretty young, you are taking a risk there. It's a lot of money to offer to that guy, but he is young, and Portland actually matches it. So Portland, they offer him the contract, and he plays well the first two years of that contract. But then he reaches 26 years old, and something happens, and he gets the wrist injury, and it just everything dies down for Nick Batum. He takes a dive, and his numbers just aren't the same anymore. He dips below 10 points a game. He shoots 40% from the field, and he shoots just 32% from the outside. It was, it was a bad player at that point, or at least the numbers that he put up were not very good in that particular season after having what was a very good start with the Portland Trailblazers. And now you look at that situation, it was a bad time to go cold for Batum. Because when you look at Portland and the situation they had at that time, you had Lillard in his second season, averaging more than 20 a game. You had to figure out what you were going to do with Wesley Matthews, who would eventually get a big contract for Dallas. But at the time, Portland wasn't out on him yet. C.J. McCollum was a rookie. He was a first-year player that was efficient when he was in. Not a not an outburst of a player, but efficient when he was in. So you look at a lot of the pieces they had. Of course, they weren't ready to blow it up with LaMarcus Aldridge there yet. And I remember you trade Nick Batum 
to get Gerald Henderson and Noah Vonley. And you remember Portland said, look, this is a separate deal. We're not we're not blowing this up. This is a separate deal. We still have LaMarcus and Damian Lillard very much in our plans to try to compete for something out here in the West. And it was just interesting to see Nick Batum be traded from the Hornets, but they get Gerald Henderson. And of course, they take a chance on Noah Vonley, the young rookie for the Charlotte Hornets. It felt like the end of an era, though, for that Portland Trailblazers team, or at least a transition into a new era because I think they sort of had some hints about what they had with that Lillard McCollum backcourt and I think they could see the the end on the horizon of the LaMarcus Aldridge Wesley Matthews Nick Batum era of Portland basketball that they had kind of maxed that out and I think step one was moving Batum uh, who had you know the worst year uh, in his career at that point and he was of course making a decent amount of money and you look at that year he became a guy that was averaging I think like the fifth most points on that team when you look at even Aaron Aflalo was averaging more points on that team who had become a good three-point shooter still and he was a guy that was contributing more and it just became that Nick Batum was the most expendable and you had to figure out what you wanted to do so again they acquire they take a chance on Noah Vonley didn't really turn out for them Noah Vonley was given up on early here by Charlotte and now he's playing with Chicago not exactly the the greatest player in the world right now but they take that chance so they they trade Nick Batum to Charlotte and that brings us to the present where, where he's with the Charlotte Hornets right now and Nick Batum um it interesting in his first season is is a very good player for us and here in Charlotte you know you look at Nick Batum what he did his field goal percentage wasn't fantastic just about almost 43 percent but he averaged 15 points a game. That was the most points per game he had ever averaged uh, up to that point. You look at the assist numbers. The assist numbers were about at six. I believe that was the most assist numbers he had ever gotten. I mean, he was a good player for the Charlotte Hornets. And I, I remember you know, after that season, I was saying, pay him, in the, pay him the max. Allowed Kimba to work off ball a little bit more. I think that was the big story, that, it, that he made Kimba better, especially in that first season. I think that, and I don't know what you think about this, Walker, but I think that narrative is starting to fade a little bit that, oh, you you have to keep Batum because that's what makes Kimba Walker, you know, that's what's helped turn Kimba Walker into Kimba Walker. I, I think Walker has now sort of said, okay, yeah, I, I can I can still play well right. with, without that ball. No, he, he doesn't need him. I mean, that basically. And look, and not to, not to say that Nick Batum didn't do good things for this team upon a time, but you're right. I, I do agree. I mean, you had Nick Batum in the backcourt. One, he was a bigger guy, so he helped defensively in that backcourt, kind of going whatever kind of player that he wanted to guard on the perimeter. And it did help getting that ball away from Kimba and actually having him able to just make Kimba a better basketball player at times. And I think that's something that Nick Batum really helped out with a lot with this Charlotte Hornets team that season. So he makes close to the max, close to it, goes to Dallas. Dallas was thinking about offering him a lot of money as well. But Charlotte swoops in and they eventually keep Nick Batum, of course, along with Marvin Williams. And they were getting MKG back. So, of course, they let Jeremy Lin and Courtney Lee walk. It was just a bad time for a lot of guys to go uh, away in free agency just because, I mean, it all added up in everybody moving on. And, of course, we all know that. But then after that season, Nick Batum starts to go down. And we experienced just this season, the last couple of seasons, have not been very good. It's, it's not been a contract. It's not been a player that has lived up to the value of what you once thought was going to be an integral part of this team. And what was interesting is a big part of coming into this season was that, he had played 
every year for the national team. And Doug, last year, he didn't play. And you thought maybe that might have a difference this season. That was a huge storyline that he was not playing for the French national team for the first time in his professional career. And and the, the big motivation behind not doing that was that he wanted to focus on his NBA game, improving uh, his NBA play. And, and you just wonder what would have happened had he not sustained that injury in that first preseason game? Could he have uh, uh, maybe achieved some of those goals that he had set out for himself? Or did that, uh, you know, basically completely take that out of the equation? He came back too early, and he's admitted that. And, and that, I think, stunned Did Clifford admit that, season. too? Did, did Clifford and coaching staff admit that, too? I'm not sure if they did. But I do remember Nick Batum saying, I possibly came back too early. Yeah, well, I think he's definitive on that now. His right. exit interview, he was he was pretty definitive that he came back too early, sure. and uh, you know I think it stunted a lot of what he wanted to accomplish this season. But at the same time, what happened happened. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. The one draft pick you hit on was Kimba Walker, and you, you drafted Bismack Biombo before him. Oh! You got it right the second time, which is great. I am too smart, SMRT. But you drafted Biombo before Kimba Walker. So, <laughs> again, you almost messed that one up as well. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Yeah, and when Nick Batum is a guy that had played every time, I thought it was going to be, for the national team, I thought it was going to be a good move, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. It just seemed like focus a little bit more on the Charlotte Hornets and mm-hmm. nothing that I, I I am not one at all to say don't play for your national team focus on the franchise you play for I'm not here for that I, I in fact I kind of enjoy it I kind of like it when people want to play with the people that they grew up with want to go represent their country I think that's a really cool thing but what I think it showed you was that one it shows you now how much he loved playing for that team saying now that he regretted not playing for it in his exit interviews and also it did kind of show you that he was focused at least that was the public perception that was my perception that he was focused to have a better year and what was a bad year coming into this season for Batum with the Charlotte Hornets his second go around and I thought that was a good thing I thought it was going to be beneficial for Batum to skip out on playing with the French national team and then coming in and and playing this season did he make that decision before the Dwight Howard acquisition because that would be interesting as well I mean maybe he makes that decision and then all of a sudden uh, this this uh, force in Dwight Howard that's going to completely change the way you play offensively and defensively comes in and turns all those plans around well and what's funny is <laughs> Nick Batum and, and Dwight Howard we thought that was going to be a great matchup together and again, something that we're discussing, and we'll have to hit on this a little bit in deciding what will happen in Nick Batum's future, but we thought those guys were going to be so good together. And and you thought Nick Batum coming back alongside Dwight, a lot of people were bringing up the comparison of Hidu Turkoglu and, and, and along, playing alongside Dwight Howard. And Batum said in the preseason or, or during uh, media day that his number one job was going to be to get the ball to Dwight Howard in positions where Dwight Howard could score. And I think what you saw happen is that he he tried to do that, but the ball wasn't moving as as effectively as I, I think that, that, that Batum really wanted it to. It wasn't – once it hit Dwight's hands – it didn't tend to leave because Batum often makes a comparison. You know, I've played with dominant big men before. I played with LaMarcus Aldridge in Portland. But the thing with LaMarcus is that 
he was sort of league average when it came to passing. Yeah, they the aren't post. the same players. It's not the same situation. <laughs> They're not even close, to be honest with you, the way Lamarcus Lamar Aldridge Lamarcus Aldridge is really impressive in the mid range game. I mean, right. his 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 turnaround jumpers on the baseline. I mean, you got three hands in his face, and he's mm-hmm. able to hit that. It's it's nowhere near the same as what Dwight Howard. Does. I think I think honestly, I think Batum was like a lot of people around the Charlotte Hornets organization. They they looked at Dwight Howard and said, "Look, we we got to figure this out. We got to make the best of it." Because what other options did they have in that offseason to improve their front court? I mean, they were they were looking at a Miles Plumlee, Zeller front court, <laughs> and so once this thing happens, you got to go. Right. Okay, how do we make this work? Well, and you get a chance to unload Plumlee's contract, mm-hmm. and you do that bringing in Dwight Howard. And again, it was probably a little bit of a hesitation, saying, "Why are you getting rid of Dwight and taking on Plumlee and Bellinelli?" And Bellinelli's gone to have a decent impact with Seventy Sixers right now, but still not a guy that was going to have any kind of impact um, that was going to make a huge difference with the Hornets or the the Hawks at that point. And they were ready to get rid of Dwight and take on Plumlee's contract while rebuilding, of course. It didn't make a lot of sense to me, I guess, unless you just really wanted to get rid of Dwight Howard in that regard to take on the kind of money that they were taking. So Dwight comes here. You're ready to play with Nick Batum. I was excited for it. I thought it could work. I really did. I thought it was going to work between Nick and Dwight. And I thought I really bought into the relationship with Steve and Dwight. And I thought Dwight might be a little bit more open to changing his game with Steve Clifford being the guy at the helm of some of those changes. And maybe not changing it entirely, but being more open to the idea is probably the right terminology. Well, have you heard what Steve Clifford has said on this uh, Woj pod that, uh, that he just went on? This was, this was interesting. I, I heard this. Uh, basically, he was asked about Dwight Howard and integrating him into the Charlotte Hornets. And while not addressing Dwight directly, uh, Clifford went into a long spiel on the evolution of big men in the NBA, and he ended it with with this with this interesting thought that you know bigs in the NBA right now are looking to expand their game offensively because they see players like Miles Leonard and they see players like uh, Joel Embiid having success from the three point line, uh, but Clifford thinks they should be looking at expanding their games defensively being able to guard perimeter uh being able to guard the perimeter and not being exclusively rim protector so I thought that was an interesting comment did he go with Myers Leonard as his first comparison as a big man hitting from the three-point line just oh did I say Leonard I meant uh, Miles Turner okay (laughs) you did I think you said that was on me that would have been a interesting comparison to have Myers Leonard be the first comparison you think of I know when I think shooting big men Myers Leonard is the first guy that comes to mind absolutely I was thinking Steve Clifford and I might be the same wavelength hot shot Myers Leonard (laughs) that's that's his nickname can't outlive it man that that's the first guy Miles Turner Miles Turner and has been by the way a fantastic player for the Indiana Pacers and has done a great job with them in this postseason so we'll, we'll try to transition and save it that way but no you're right I mean what's funny about this too and I look into that comment is that Dwight Howard is supposed to come in and anchor the defense and I thought that still had value in today's game everyone understands that the big man is starting to become a dinosaur and you're starting to just see the dinosaur fade away as these new unicorns as Kevin Durant coined the term and everyone has ran away with it has become pretty crazy to see that maybe unicorns aren't all that unique anymore. I mean, you're seeing some pretty skilled guys that are 6'10 and can still have a back to the basket type of game, but also can go out on the three point shoot and three point line and handle it a little bit. Oh, they're they're unique. Don't get me wrong. That's why they're getting drafted so high. But it's it's not as crazy unique as when we saw Chris Stapps, 
doing putback dunks and hitting threes in his rookie season and getting us all excited. It's not as crazy. So what's funny about that is you have Dwight Howard come in. He's supposed to hanker the defense. Already, Steve Clifford, we know, preaches D more so than anything. I mean, it's what you want to do. You want to take good shot attempts. You want to limit turnovers. And you want to have an excellent defense. Dwight Howard going to help that, you think, right? So then he mentions that. And then it answers, okay, well, Dwight Howard's supposed to make a defense that was already expected to be good, even better then you look at this season, 108 points allowed. The defense efficiency, it's down. They're 19th in that regard when you talk about when you talk about the points allowed. And it's because you can obviously tell where the game is headed. You know, how many guys is Dwight Howard really fit to guard one-on-one when you talk about the big men that are able to spread the floor out? You know, I think it explains it. I, I think it explains it's not, of course, the telltale sign. It's not Dwight Howard can't guard in the perimeter. They go down to 19th points and to the 19th uh, uh, team as far as points allowed goes. It's not the uh, tell all be all. It's not the end all be all, I should say. But it hurts. It hurts when Dwight can't go out there and move his feet laterally. And there are times when you can see Dwight kind of just watch from a distance the guy shoot out there on the three point line. And when guys drive in the paint, he's there, he's physical. He doesn't want to give up anything, and that and that stuff that stuff helped. I would be interested to see a stat, and I'm in, I would be interested to pull up the stats. I just haven't done it to see how well teams shot within the paint on the Hornets. I would be interested to see that kind of stat. But perimeter wise, how many times, Doug, have we discussed? Have a lot of people looked into just the three point defense not being very good, right? I mean, the three pointer, the three point teams have been able to really hurt the Charlotte Hornets team in that regard. Yeah, and a lot of that. <clears throat> A lot of that was them not being able to contain on the perimeter and allowing those drive and kick opportunities. And and so much of that, again, is if, if Dwight is going to exclusively be in the paint defensively, uh, you're, you're essentially leaving your, your guards and your wings out on the perimeter one-on-one. And so many teams are able to expose that now. Uh, that, uh, yeah, it does lead to indirectly to three-point opportunities. Now, I like Dwight Howard, and we've gone on a tangent with us discussing Dwight in our Nick Batum about But it's con- I think it's but, connected, though. No, sure. And, and we heard Steve Clifford just drop on the Woj pod today. And it's interesting stuff to hear what Steve Clifford has to say with Dwight Howard. And we get a chance to listen to that. I'm sure we'll talk about that more tomorrow. But it was interesting to hear Steve Clifford discuss that. And I think they are connected. So as you see... One of the parts of this present of Nick Batum is how is he going to be able to work with Dwight Howard? And of course, that does feed into the future, which we'll transition to. So what do you make of Nick Batum now? I think we're all kind of waiting for him to step up. And I don't know if you've given up on him. I think that you move him if you have a suitor with the right value, of course, but almost at any value at this point, because you don't have a whole lot of say in this at this point. If somebody comes knocking on the door saying, hey, We'll take Nick Batum, but you got to give us Kimba, and in return, we'll give you a first-round pick and possibly some other things. You have to be all ears on at least listening to it. Now, when you add Kimba to the equation, I think you have a little leverage in that regard. But when somebody wants the Nick Batum contract and is willing to take it, it's become one of the worst contracts in the league. Yeah, it's not, it's not going to be the same situation that you had in Portland where his deal was large but manageable 
Whereas now, I mean, right. that, that $25 million number is going to be so difficult to move. And how, and how bad is it now, Doug? I mean, because it, it's crazy now because you thought, well, everybody's just throwing around money. The new 25 is going to be – or the new 15 is now 25. The new 25 million is now – it's going to be 35 in the future. And that it, it didn't keep going up like that. It, we're, it we're, never we're, does. No, the, no. the stock market always <laughs> teaches us that, that it never keeps going up. It always at some point that. settles in. And, and somebody should tell the GMs that. And, and somebody look, should tell my broker that. <laughs> somebody should tell. I we all should have learned from that because again, and 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 this is on me too. I wanted Nick Batum to get that contract. What were you feeling at the time when he got that much money? I thought I really, really hope this pans out because otherwise, so you were scared. Yeah, I well, be, so. well because I think I knew what the fan reaction was going to be, and I think anytime you give someone that is not prone to scoring, you know, 25 points a night that much money because that's what people pay attention to that kind of thing, you know, uh, more so than anything else. Like how much are they contributing uh, offensively to my team and when, when when I knew the kind of player that Nick Batum was and and you were going to have to defend his value in a lot of ways and and he's he has made it uh, very difficult to defend over the past two seasons. So when you look at the rim protection, by the way, and I believe I have this stat right, Doug, correct me if I'm wrong, but when you look at the rim protection, it's not like that theory held up a whole lot either. They like, improved. They were already a top 10. Uh, oh, so te- this is, okay, I was thought this was, I thought this was well, percentage, so, right? Okay. Well, so yeah, so you can, yeah, we're looking at cleaningtheglass.com right now. So they kept teams away from the rim. They were, uh, they were top five in uh, the amount of offense that teams derived uh, f- from the rim against them at 31.7%. But when they did get to the rim, they were very effective. Uh, 64.8% yeah. team shot against the Hornets at the rim. That was good for 22nd in the league. So it, it almost looks like, it, it almost looks as if Dwight was more scary than he actually was when they went down in there. He kept players away from the rim, right. but players were able yeah. to finish. And sure. and some of that, you we have to say too, some of that is probably on the, the bench as well that could not stop anyone. And, and, that, and that's true. But also, and you kind of look at what the Hornets have done um, just in recent history. You can look at, they've done a really good job pretty much the last five years of keeping teams away from the rim. Mm-hmm. They never ranked any worse than eighth since 2013 2014 they never without without a traditional rim protector Uh, exactly and then what's funny is what when did steve clifford coach this team what was the first year that he coached this team that was 13 14 13 14 so you see steve clifford come in they immediately go (laughs) impact it's hilarious steve clifford comes in this was a team that ranked 30th and 29th as far as teams in the nba that allowed uh, other players to get to the rim Steve Clifford comes in and they immediately jump up to eighth second seventh eighth and fourth last year so you can sell you can tell the kind of philosophy that Steve Clifford brought but again it, it makes sense right it makes sense to bring in Dwight Howard in that regard so anyways again I keep getting Dwight Howard so interesting so we'll, we'll get back to Nick Batum as far as the future and what kind of trade value that there is and, and not even trade value but is if there's any hope for him Doug do you have any hope for Nick Batum to at least become a more efficient player, some a guy maybe finding a coach or a philosophy that allows Nick Batum to be more effective again. Do you have faith in that? No, but I think if you have any faith at all, you have to believe that not playing with the national team was a mistake for him and that doing that will will kind of get him back into his groove, that he'll stay healthy and that he can find some way to develop a relationship with Dwight Howard on the court. And, and, you know, you look at his efficiency numbers in terms of his shooting, 
it's right on par with where it was last season, which is not necessarily a good thing. But when you remember how poorly he was shooting when he first came back, you know, he started to improve his last few months. He was actually a, a fairly effective offensive player. So you do have a, just a smidge of hope, but overall, no. <laughs> All right, that's uh, Nick Batum's uh, past, present, and a little bit of his future. Uh, I want to do a Patreon uh, mention. If you want to support our show and the amazing people that put it together, consider joining our Patreon community for as little as $1 a month. You can help us keep making the Daily Hornets content that you've come to trust. Go to patreon.com slash LOH. There's a link in the description of this episode, so get the double entries into our contest and access to content before anybody else patreon.com slash LOH. Every dollar again, it goes to making this the best Hornets talk in Charlotte. So once again, support us with Patreon. We really appreciate it. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we'll discuss an interesting story with Suge Knight and his judge on this murder trial, wanting a little bit of information on who he thinks is going to be the finals matchup in the NBA and perhaps wrapping up our thoughts on Nick Batum. You're listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. You are listening to the Locked On Hornets podcast. And Doug, don't you have an Eldon Campbell like stuffed animal type thing? Yes, I do. I got it at the last regular season home game that they had before they left for New Orleans. I, look, I love me some Eldon Campbell, but is that, is they, that the guy? they were just they were clearing everything out of the house because it was whatever they gave to the fans that night. They didn't have to take with them to New Orleans. Get more Hornets analysis on LockedOnHornets.com. Welcome back to the Lockdown Hornets podcast. Walker Mail and Doug Branson here with you discussing the player evaluations that we'll be doing for the next few weeks or so. Nick Batum, again, has been the guy of the, I guess, podcast, the 30 minutes or so that we discuss all of these players. But we'll take a quick break and and look at Suge Knight. Yeah, right. Suge, Suge Knight is a guy that's in the news Remember right now. Remember that name? Yeah. <laughs> Suge Knight is a guy that's in the news, and not because there's been any kind of verdict so far on his murder trial, which is the guy, which is the reason why he's so prominent. It's Suge Knight is facing murder, threat, and robbery charges in three separate cases, of course. And NBC Sports, they came out with a little piece and something that happened in that trial. And, quote, Marissa Gerber of the L.A. Times said, a few minutes later, during a separate hearing in the criminal threats proceeding, another judge asked Suge Knight to return to his courtroom in May. Then the judge turned to Knight, asking who he thought would win the NBA playoffs. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. <laughs> the judge. read that again? <laughs> it's, they asked Suge Knight basically who his NBA finals matchup was. And who would win it? Did the judge need help with with some kind of bet? Were they was he looking to Suge Knight and, for some for some gambling advice? And why is Suge Knight the guy you ask too? Of course, we all know about the timing of this and how awful the timing of this is. But why is Suge Knight the guy you're dying for his opinion on? We're, listen, we the, the that that judge needed content. I'll tell you that much. They, that judge was a was a correspondent for Fox Sports, and they needed some content. And so they said, "All right, we're going to ask Suge Knight what his opinion is." Everyone, listen, opinions. That's what we need. Opinions matter. Opinions are everything. Let's get Suge Knight's opinion on who will win the I, the finals. I don't care if I get him from a murderer in the hip hop age. I don't care if I get him from that. I just want it. And plus, Doug, of course, we got to hear what he says. So Suge Knight at this time. 
before the judge cuts him off. So Suge Knight says at this time, the judge cuts him off and saying that he just wanted once and for all an answer. Suge Knight just says, Houston. All right, Houston, good pick. The See, judge that's said. the best part. See, the judge would not let Suge <laughs> Knight fence ride. Couldn't let Suge <laughs> Knight fence ride. Said, no, no, sir. No, sir, I object. You must give me once and for all an answer. I might not get another opportunity to talk to you for another 25 years. So please let me know what is your NBA Finals pick, sir. Like, what? I, I don't want to know about the NBA from Suge Knight. I want to know about hip-hop, and of course I want to know about Tupac and what what the hell happened, man? Like that's what I want to know. I'm not asking Suge Knight about his finals prediction. And then he goes with Houston too. Like Suge Knight before he goes to jail, just gonna make one more quick hot take in there that Houston is going to win. Maybe not a hot hot take, not a scorching yeah, you're one. Taking but the, you're sizzling. taking the number one team in the West, sir. You are guilty. That's it. You're guilty. <laughs> sizzling a little. Where bit. is this? This is yeah. This is in, and that's funny too because this is in what this is in Los Angeles, right, where he's being tried. And he's he's not going to go with the Golden State Warriors here. I feel like his his lawyers, his representatives, need to get in his ear and say, "Shug, actually, you you want to go with the Warriors? <laughs> you want to? They've been there a couple times. Um, uh, these guys have been very good for a long time. I, I the don't judge know. is probably a fan. You know, they lost to Minnesota, right, Shug? Like they lost at least one time to Minnesota. I mean, come on, Shug. So anyway, so Shug Knight getting dropped in and getting asked for his opinion on who was going to win the NBA playoffs, which is interesting, and I don't know what the judge was thinking, but whatever, that's the kind of content that they were deciding to get. So final thoughts on Nick Batum, Doug. And here, here we are in a very tough situation with this player in particular. I would think this is the one player you look at as a guy that would, would, help, this, would help this team to be off of more than anything, to be honest with you, because of the contract that is dealt with him, all the money that's tied, and not to say he has no talent, but the value, the contract, just vastly outweighs what he gives you on the court right now. Yeah, I don't believe that they paid that amount of money for exactly the kind of player that Nick Batum was in that first year. I think they paid that kind of money as an investment uh, into what Nick Batum would ultimately become for this team. And, and when you're talking about a guy who's been playing professionally as long as he has, he wasn't going to suddenly transform into a into a megastar necessarily, but certainly they needed Nick Batum to improve uh, his his efficiency, his scoring. I think those were the kind of things that they were going to need from Nick Batum, and they didn't get them. And I think for Batum and for the team, they have to decide like what kind of player does Nick Batum want to be? Does he want to be a game changer? Or 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 right. is he content on being the player that we've seen Nick Batum be for the past couple of seasons? And I want to go back to a time when we were interviewing George Sedano at uh, on seven thirty the game, and I was we were talking to George Sedano, and he made one comment that didn't really blow up. We tweeted it out. I thought it might get some play, and I just thought it was really interesting that nobody really discussed it. And Sedano said, and again, this was in twenty seventeen when he said this, and he said, "quote This NBA personnel guy I spoke to said he doesn't trust Nick Batum to play as hard." when he's not in a contract year. And that was George Sedano on Nick Batum. And I thought that was interesting. I don't know if I had really questioned his effort 100% before, but I even think since that, since maybe that quote even, since in 2017, it's been a year now, we have seen him play one more year from that. I'm not going to say that it's not a guy that doesn't play hard. It's an 82-game regular season. There are times where you're going to see every player not go at it 100% just because you just can't do it. 
you just can't do it. But there are times where I feel like, oh, Nick, come on, man. That was pretty sloppy. That was pretty lazy. That was a bad defensive effort. There are times where you can see that from Nick Batum. And it doesn't coincide with the way he played when he got his first contract with Portland. The next couple of years, he actually had some really good years for the Trailblazers before he completely dipped and and took a nosedive in his production. But perhaps it does here because it, it is the one time that it has coincided. It did. He got a contract and... And ever since he got the contract, it just never really worked out for him the past couple of years. So we'll see. We'll, we'll see what Nick Batum can do. We'll see if Nick Batum is still on this team. But, man, this th- this is the guy, right? This is the player that is so interesting to see what his future is, more so than, and, than maybe everybody but Dwight and Kimba, just because of the kind of impact that he can have on a roster. Of course, we're all interested in Jeremy Lamb. We're all interested in seeing some of these other guys and, and how you handle it. But... It's just when you when you're making over 25 million, it's a guy to pay attention to and see what you have to do with. And I think you made the pertinent point that part of the reason that Jeremy Lin and Courtney Lee, who were so vital uh, to that team and to that team's ability to have depth that helped them to not only get to the playoffs, but take Miami to seven games. Nick Batum's part of the reason they aren't here. Yeah. I mean, 100 percent, and because Jeremy Lin gets what 15 million, and how much how much Courtney Lee get like 12 or 13, and that's a lot for them. But no, it's it's a great point, and to see that team after taking Miami to a seven game series, you invest all that money in Nick Batum, and here we are evaluating him, not exactly on the most positive of notes as well. All right, well, thank you for listening to Locked On Hornets podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Locked On Hornets. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Overcast. Wherever you get your podcasts, just search Locked on Hornets. Thanks again for listening, guys. This is Locked on Hornets with Walker Mail and Doug Branson. We'll talk to you tomorrow.